Welcome to the Orange Crest Community Church Podcast. Our hope is that this weekly podcast provides both encouragement and challenge as you move forward in your relationship with Jesus Christ. Thank you so much for listening. Good morning. It's good to see you all here. Last week we began this message series called Blindsided, looking at how there are these challenges that sort of sneak up on us in life. We don't expect them. We don't see them coming. They just sort of creep up, and they, they sometimes scare us in life, and we get blindsided. The last week we looked at the, the issue of cynicism and how it can sort of, it can, again, creep up on us. We can slide into something we call cynicism. We get hurt in life. People hurt us. People disappoint us, or we just we read the news, or just we, we live and we learn, and we can grow cynical. And so last week we talked about the slide into cynicism and how Jesus can pull us out of cynicism. If you weren't here for Easter Sunday, then I invite you to check out our website. We have all of our messages up there. If that's something especially uh, interesting to you or you feel like that would be helpful, you might want to look at last week's message from our website. This uh, morning, I want to look at the issue of being blindsided by disconnection. Disconnection, not being connected. And I want to introduce the, uh, this challenge with a familiar video clip for probably many of you from the, the classic Christmas movie Home Alone. So if you've seen Home Alone, this will be a flashback for you. Uh, There's these two thieves that are casing a neighborhood, and they've sort of singled out a home that they want to break into. And and so they're out in the van, and they thought this family was gone on vacation. They pull up, and it seems like something's really different. And so they're not able to do what they intended. So let's watch this clip. This will help us get into this morning's message. they come back? Iris. back tomorrow, man. He'll be gone by then. We better get out of here before somebody sees us. How many of you have seen that movie? All right, most of you. So Kevin, this young boy, he creates the appearance because he, he knows that these thieves are wanting to break into his house. He overhears them talking about it. And so he wants to create the appearance of a house full of connections, a lively interaction. But not everything is as it appears. If they were to creep up to the windows and look inside, they'd find out he, he's, he's actually all alone, just this, this young boy. Uh, this, this challenge that we're looking at this morning is being disconnected. It can appear from the outside that we have a lot of relationships. It can, it can appear from the outside that we're really connected uh, because there's people all around us, but you might be really, really alone. And it's surprising to find yourself in disconnection. It, it does blindside us in life. Because we have people. It's just this particular area, Southern California metro area and New York City metro area, are the two most densely populated pockets of our country. And so, uh, newsflash, you're surrounded by people. But you can still feel isolated. And why is that? I want to look at this 
this challenge this morning. Here are some of the factors contributing to our disconnection. First, we have some internal challenges. There might be things going on inside of us. There might be some emotional challenges, some physical challenges like health. There might be past hurts or maybe fears of future rejection that we just sort of keep people at a distance. Or maybe the pace of life. Maybe you're just really, really running fast in your life right now. For those of you that are students, you can actually be surrounded by people in the dorms or in apartments, but you're studying and you're in this focused time of of working hard and studying. I don't know if that describes everyone in the room but in your college experience, but you know, you're, you're really focused and you're realizing, I get, I got to pass these tests. I got to get this thing completed. But in the, in the pace of life, sometimes you just don't connect to people. The same would be true of people launching into their careers. They're building a career and they're working, 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 and, and there's just not a lot of time to build relationships. Or if you're raising children, the same is true. You, there can be a struggle. There's so much energy focused on chauffeuring kids around or changing diapers and fixing meals and that it's just relationships are, are just really difficult to build at this season. Or maybe the cost of connection. Maybe you just feel like it's too, it's too high of a price, like time spent, money spent, the effort. I don't know if it's worth it. I'll get around to it. Or this, this next one, distraction by technology. This is something that can really contribute to being disconnected is our, our connectivity to technology. Technology is a mixed blessing. Here's what that idea of something being a mixed blessing means. Something that's good in some ways and bad in other ways. And that's, that's sort of the, the, the technology factor. Is it's a mixed blessing. There's all sorts of great things that it allows us to do. I appreciate being able to be connected through text and email. And I, I appreciate all the apps that my phone can have so I could just there's benefits of technology. I can pray for people, group texts, prayer requests, encouragement. I can have my Bible on my phone. I can navigate to places because of technology. On and on and on. There's all these time-saving tips that, that you have. But being connected also has some disadvantages as well. Researcher, researchers are constantly studying what is, the, what is the downside of technology? What's the impact technology is having uh, on our society and our culture? There's a lady named Sherry Turkle. She wrote a book. Here's the, the book cover, Alone Together. She's a, a professor at, at MIT, and she wrote this book and a subtitle, Why We Expect More from Technology and Less from Each Other. Alone Together, it's called. And I want to show you a brief excerpt from her TED Talk that highlights the challenge that we're facing with being so connected in technology. So let's, let's roll this clip. I'm still excited by technology, but I believe, and I'm here to make the case, that we're letting it take us places that we don't want to go. Over the past 15 years, I've studied technologies of mobile communication, and I've interviewed hundreds and hundreds of people, young and old, about their plugged-in lives. And what I've found is that our little devices, those little devices in our pockets, are so psychologically powerful that they don't only change what we do, they change who we are. Some of the things we do now with our devices are things that only a few years ago we would have found odd or disturbing, but they've quickly come to seem familiar, just how we do things. So just to take some quick examples, people text or do email 
during corporate board meetings. They text and shop and go on Facebook during classes, during presentations, actually during all meetings. People talk to me about the important new skill of making eye contact while you're texting. <laughs> People explain to me that it's hard, but that it can be done. Parents text and do email at breakfast and at dinner while their children complain about not having their parents' full attention, but then these same children deny each other their full attention. This is a recent shot of my daughter and her friends being together while not being together. And we even text at funerals. I study this. We remove ourselves from our grief or from our reverie, and we go into our phones. Why does this matter? It matters to me because I think we're setting ourselves up for trouble. Trouble certainly in how we relate to each other, but also trouble in how we relate to ourselves, in our capacity for self-reflection. We're getting used to a new way of being alone together. And she, she goes on to say, I'm not anti-technology, she says. I'm, I'm pro-conversation. She, she cites a study also where people who were away at a camp for five days experienced uh, and just disconnected from cell service and the Internet that empathy markers began to rise in them when they're disconnected. And so – and she commented on this study. She says, I believe we are wired to talk. I experienced this myself recently. My, I was at a, at a high Sierras or I don't know if it was a high Sierras or low Sierra campground. <laughs> I don't know my mountain regions all that well. I was in Hume Lake, and I was there for a week at this camp, and I was disconnected. There was no cell service at all. You could pay for Wi-Fi but decided not to be connected, didn't pay for the Wi-Fi. But I had so much focused time with God and with the people that were there at that camp. And I, 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 I even made the comment, this was like the best week of my life in a long time. Like this was so rich to be so meaningfully connected to others. Essentially, I was able to slow down. I was able to stop being uh, distracted, and it was really enriching. God actually calls us to this. Look at Psalm 46, verse 10. Be still and know that I am God. How do you do that in our culture, in our day and age? How do you slow down and, and be still with God? God actually wants us to set aside time to give him our undivided attention so we can listen to him, so we can learn from him. But disconnection hits us in a bunch of ways. First, it, it often starts with being disconnected to God. And then it impacts the people right there in front of us. And then it impacts uh, our, our ability to be meaningfully connected within the community. The community around us, whether this church community or just the city we live in, there are a lot of people that don't feel like they have a, a connection to a people group or to a place. And, and, and so I want to look at that idea of disconnection this morning. However it impacts you, God offers a lasting solution to this issue of disconnection. And it shouldn't surprise us. If we go back in the Bible to the beginning of the Bible, we see God making man in his own image. It says that he created the first man in his image with the ability to relate and interact with God because we're relational beings. He made us this way. He designed us with the ability to interact with, 
with him and with one another. So let's look at some of these verses from Genesis. Starting in Genesis 2, we see God breathing life into the man. It says that the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground. He breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. God put this man into the Garden of Eden, and he began to speak to him. Again, he gives the man the ability to speak and to interact with God. And then here's the first thing we see God communicating to, to Adam in Genesis 2:16 and 17. The Lord God commanded the man, You're free to eat any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat of it, you will surely die. Adam, you have, a, you have free reign over this garden. Only one boundary. Don't eat from this one tree. This will have serious consequences. Next, the Bible reads in verse 18, The Lord God said it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. And this is really the first time in the Bible where we see God saying that there's something that is not good. In the first chapter, when God's making everything, he makes, you know, he creates the universe Day one, day two, day three, and he's going through, and he's, as he's creating everything, what's the phrase he says at the end of each day? It was good. It was good. This is the first time you say, this is, you see God saying, this is not good for the man to be alone. And so God forms the first woman, and Adam's need for companionship is met in Eve. But in the very next chapter, Genesis chapter 3, everything falls apart as Eve is deceived by, the, by Satan in the form of a serpent, and Adam sins eyes open because god gave adam the direct command and adam violated it. he rebels passes that boundary line and at that point when he sinned sin entered the world and has since plagued the human race and what sin does is sin damages our ability first it damages our ability to relate to god we're, we're separated from god it's like we're cut off there's a canyon between us because of our sin and it shows up in different ways. We have guilt. We have shame. We want to run and hide from God. This is what Adam and Eve did in the garden as they ran and they hid from God. They covered themselves up in their shame and their nakedness. And, and sin clouds our, our thinking. So sin affects our relationship with God. And then sin also damages our relationships with one another. It's just difficult for us to get along in, in the journey of life. We're, we're, we're natively, stubbornly selfish. And so in relationships, it's just tough because I want what I want and you want what you want. And so there's a clash of wills. And we find this in family life. We find this in marriage, among friendships, with parents and children. We find it with coworkers. We find it with bosses. We, we find it with, uh, you know, just on and on through relationships. There is a strain. It's grinding. And so disconnection is just, it's, just, it's you know, if, you, if we're asking, where does this come from? Well, we start, we start with that. It, it comes from when sin entered the world, that created disconnection with God, and it brings the, the potential for much disconnection with each other. It's just hard. It's hard now. Thankfully, God provided a solution. So I want to illustrate God's solution by looking first at the center of this circle that you see on your listening guide here and sort of work our way from the center out. And so dealing with disconnection first is connect with God through Jesus. We start there. If you're, if you're feeling disconnected, begin at this circle. Have you ever personally, or how is your relationship with God going? Do you have a relationship with God? Have you ever connected with God through his son, Jesus? Have you ever invited Jesus to save you from your sin and willingly chosen to follow him as your Lord? If you've never done that, we'd love to help you with that. 
Uh, in fact, on the back of that connection card, there's this box right here on the back of that blue card where if you'd like to request some info on that, we'd love to send you some info and clarify what it means to, uh, to follow Christ and to become a, Christ, a Christian, Christ follower. But look at this first. Speaking to a group of people in, in Turkey who had become Christians, Paul's writing to this one church, the church of, in uh, the city of Ephesus, and he writes this. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. There's, you know, people can have peace with God. People that were cut off and far from God can have peace through the blood of Christ. And then in verse 14, for he, Christ, he himself is our peace, who has made the two one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. Sin brought deep division between us and God. Our sin does that. And it also brought division between us and people. This is the reference you see in those verses to that Paul's saying, he made the two one. That's referring to the division between the Jews and the non-Jewish people, the Gentiles. The Jews and the Gentiles were separated, but Jesus himself brings peace on all levels. Christ is not only our peace personally, but he's our peace interpersonally. But the starting point that Paul speaks about is, is this is found in Christ Jesus, who himself is our peace. Through his death, through his burial, through his resurrection, Jesus is the bridge that we walk across to relate to God. Like I mentioned earlier, sin has separated us from God. It comes with some consequences. The wages of our sin is death. We're cut off from God for all eternity. And we can't reach him. There's this chasm between us and God. And, and eternal life. But Jesus is the bridge that we walk across to know God personally. To have our sin forgiven through Jesus' blood. And to find deep connection to him eternally. And even this impacts our relationship with others. If you're struggling right now with feeling disconnected from God, this is the place you want to start. Is Consider, have I ever received Christ into my life personally? If you don't know, then... You know, let us know how we can help in this way. But starting there, he makes you more connectable. This is the starting point. He helps us put life back together when we start at this point. But then second, establishing a relationship with Christ actually leads us to another circle of connection. It begins with us and Jesus, and then it moves itself out to people close by. This impacts how we relate to friends, to family, to spouses, to children. And so connect deeper with people close by. This is on the back also, the back side of the, the listening guide. Connect deeper with people close by. You have people that are in your inner circle of relationships. Maybe you're sitting near some this morning or maybe, you know, family, friends, coworkers, neighbors, the people we do life with. God made us with a deep desire to do life relationally but in order to experience that we actually have to slow ourselves down and truly relate to people Uh, here's a good description of how paul and his ministry team slowed down and began to model healthy relationships in one church Uh, this is a church in greece it's uh and you find it in the book of first thessalonians paul's writing back to this church which initially was very hostile towards Paul, he was a missionary to reach them. He brought the message of Jesus with a team. And when he got to this region, it was very, very, they were very hostile towards what he had to share. But a church began there. 
And so he's writing a letter back, and he's talking about a very relational approach in connecting with them. I think it's pretty instructive for us today. Look at what Paul writes. He says, as apostles of Christ, we could have been a burden to you, but we were gentle among you, just like a mother caring for her little children. He talks about this gentle, nurturing care. He says, this is the way we related to you, very gently. Then it goes on in verse 8. We loved you so much that we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. Pause there for a moment. Think about that. Paul's saying, look, it wasn't just about us dropping a message on you, but we invested our lives in you. We spent time with you. We, we wanted to open up our lives to you because you, we let you in. You become so dear to us. There was this mutual relationship that had formed. And then in verse 9, he writes, Surely you remember, brothers, our toil and hardship. Because Paul went through it. When you read the book of Acts and you see what Paul experienced in that area, it was a tough, it was a tough time. But then also, once people started embracing Christ, Paul wanted to make sure he carried his own load. And so he worked night and day in order to not be a burden to anyone while, while they preached the gospel of God to them. He was a tent maker. Paul didn't want to like, mooch off the people that, th- that were there. He wanted to carry his load. Then in verse 10, he says, Your witnesses, and so is God, of how holy and righteous and blameless we were among you who believed. For you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children. First, he says, we were like a mother, gently caring for you. But then he says, we're also like a father. Remember how we were like a father? A father deals differently than a mother does with children. And here's some description of that. He says, we were encouraging you, we were comforting you. We were urging you to live lives worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and glory. And he's saying from the outside, you know, it, it, it may have looked like, uh, well, he, he's saying our pattern of relating to you when we were there is the way you ought to relate continually to those close by. Now, those people in your families, those people, your friendships there, this is the way to relate. How, how should we do that? And I want to break this down a little further. How, how should we relate? Verse 7, you just see this as you would in a functional family. Not a dysfunctional family, but a functioning family relates in familial ways. Gently, caring, nurturing. Or this, we share life with one another, Paul, Paul's highlighting. Not just the message, but life. When you, if you're in a small group and you, you're beginning to share life with people in a small group, it's tempting when someone would say, hey, how's your small group going? How's your life group going? Oh, it's good. We had a good discussion this week. We talked about this. We talked about that. We're, we're naturally thinking about the program, the organization, the, the formal aspect of this. Maybe next time when someone says, how's your small group going? You could say, you know what? People are having a rough time right now. We're having a rough time in our group. There's just there's some challenges, or I'm burdened because there's some people that are going through some things, and I just it's just it's been hard, or it's just a joyful season right now. Instead of putting the focus only on the program, instead continue to keep the focus on the the life to life, and actually that's the heart of what we want people to experience in our groups. Years ago, I was leading a small group, probably 15, 16 years ago, at an, at the church we were sent from. And the man who organized all of our small groups, he would pull our group leaders together, and we'd talk about how's, the, how's group going, how's our small groups going. And he would say, how's your group going? And mo- a lot of times we'd just report on the group. We're talking about this, or we had a good study, or we had, we had a good gathering, or 
You know, we started at 7, we ended up at 9, we're, we're starting and ending on time, and he'd be like, no, I, I want to know how your group is. Well, we just told you. Now, how's your group? He's talking about the people. As a task person, I'm tempted to think about the, the, the project of being done and what we need to cover. And so what Paul's trying to get at is life, the heart of people, life to life with people, not just the message. That, that is critical. People need the message, but share life, Paul's saying. And then verse 9, you see low maintenance. We should, you know, with those close by, we shouldn't be people that are a burden on others. Paul's talking about his own example of trying not to be a burden. Be low maintenance in your relationships, in your friendships. Be easy to relate to. Be someone that you can just kind of step in a relationship and, and be a help, be a blessing. These are years, if you're, if you're raising kids or just if life is flying by, where you may not be able to pour countless hours into relationships. But that doesn't mean you can't have healthy relationships. You can still have depth in relationships. Uh, or this, come alongside. Verse, verses 11 and 12, you see Paul talking about like a father who dealt with his own children. He says he, he encourages, he, he comforts, he urges. This is what fathers do. There's encouragement. You can come up alongside and run alongside someone and say, hey, keep going. Don't give up. That's the idea that Paul's using in, in these verses is fathers come up alongside and run next to someone and say, hey, don't give up. You can make it. You can go a little further. This is what we can do with those close by or or urging and comforting. This is sort of the corrective, the coaching aspect that, that Paul's laying out, sort of like a coach coaching a sport like basketball and you know, you see someone shooting like this. If a coach comes and corrects the form and says, look, you want to bend your legs this way. You want to, you want to center your position this way. You want, to, you want to adjust, make these minor tweaks. Good coaches know how to make those minor tweaks. And, and Paul's saying, like, there's, there's a place for that where there's trust and where people close by can speak into your life. But Paul's describing, what, what are those relationships close by supposed to look like? He's, he, Paul just points to his own example of how they treated uh, the people in that church, and he says, use that as a model for how you continue to relate. But something that blocks depth in relationships is this busy, busy, frantic pace that we run at. We get going and going and going. Dallas Willard, he's an author. He, he's since passed away. He's, he was an author. He was a professor of philosophy at uh, University of Southern California. But he said this, he said, you must ruthlessly, if you want to improve relationships, he says, you must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. Because he says, hurry kills so many things, including depth and intimacy in relationships. So hurry is one thing. But another thing to, to monitor is, is technology. And I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this, and this is not an anti-technology talk. So you want, might want to think through, how is technology impacting me? Technology is not the problem, but, but here's some practical tips on managing technology wisely. First, shut off tech at dinner. Uh, we've all been, at least I can say, I've been guilty of this, of doing tech at the table, and I've been frustrated at it at the same time. If it's me, I'm like, it's okay. Hold on, just one more thing. If it's not me, I'm like, can you put that away? And we've, we've been on both sides of that, haven't we? 
You're guilty of it. You're frustrated at it. Or when you're in the car with someone, put the phone away and be present with them. When you're in a meeting with someone, it's really difficult. But again, I would say a similar you know, tip there. What about this one? Play board games to enjoy conversation. Board games allow for face-to-face interaction. It's not mediated. It's just you just have conversation. Or find activities that you can share with others. What can you do with people? I heard somebody talking recently about, about how he, he kept saying two-by-two. Two, do everything in two-by-two. Two. What he was talking about was don't do anything alone in life. Always bring someone. If you've got to take a drive to L.A. to do an errand, bring someone with you so you can talk. You know, think about the, the things we do, and can, can you do that with others? Or when hosting, here's a tough one for, for me. When hosting, prep and clean up ahead and think through ways to linger. Uh, I'm, I'm more task-focused, so when we've eat, when we finish the meal, I'm like, I've got to clean the meal up. I want to load the dishwasher. So then I can relax. And I don't know if you're wired that way. You might, you might you're probably more mature in that way that, that it doesn't bug you. But I'm like thinking about the dishes. And I'm thinking, the longer I wait, the harder that food's going to be to scrape off those things, you know. <laughs> so it's for good reason, right? <laughs> but maybe instead, maybe have paper plates. Instead of fine china and nice dishes, maybe paper plates that once you're done, you can just go whoosh, into the trash and have the coffee ready and then just be, be relating. Because people come over, they want to relate to us, and vice versa. And so how can we improve and have more meaningful interaction, allowing people and relationships to to flourish? Or go on trips and vacations with people in community. We used to, years ago, we'd have these camping trips up in the local mountains, and lots of people early on at OCC would go to this thing. And it was sort of, you still hear trips or stories about those trips that we took but I hear even now just people planning trips, and sometimes it's, it's friends and family, and it's inclusive of others. And so think about how, how can you make the most of that. Use start, Another thing on technology, use the do not disturb and turn off the notifications. Someone tipped me off to the – I didn't know you could do that. I should have known that. But you can turn off the notifications so when texts come in, you don't have to be alerted right away. That was a game changer for me, me recently. Because the notifications on my phone really disrupt deep work. And you want to think through that if that's impacting you. If you need, to, if you need time for deep work to really focus and have your mind uh, there, what happens when the, the beep or the buzz comes into your phone is that now that thing is urgent and it's in your mind. And if you're like me, I, I like to keep my mind free. And so I'm trying to process that information quickly. And so... That's one thing that's been helpful for me is helps me focus on text in blocks of time. Here's one other thing. Charge your phone away from your bed. Some people describe getting better rest. may improve, you know, just your sleep. And then actually when the, when the alarm goes off, you actually have to get out of bed. And you're not just like, bam, 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 five more minutes. But knowing people on a deeper level is really important. It might be scary. It might be a frightening thought. But disconnection from others who are all around us can leave us isolated, can leave us lonely. And here's one of the tolls we're paying right now in this area. Being connected to everyone, social media, text, email, being connected to everyone keeps us disconnected from the people right in front of us. That's a, that's, that's a high price. Conversations really struggling, are struggling these days right across the table. 
right across the street. We can have conversations with people all around the world, but it's, it's a struggle sometimes with those right beside us. And then this last area, again, it starts with Jesus in the center, and then it works its way out to those closest by, and then it goes further out. You can have meaningful relationships, build stronger connections within the church. In the first century, A.D., the Jesus movement really began to take off. After Jesus rose from death, his followers went on, went on mission, spreading his message to everyone in different cities and towns and regions and countries, in fact. But look at how it's described in Acts chapter 2. All the believers were together and they had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. These are, these are not family members. These are, I mean, some are family members, but this is depth of relationships within churches who their people relate as if they're family members. They're selling their possessions and helping each other out. They're, they're caring for each other. Every day they're meeting together in temple courts. They break bread in their homes. They eat together with glad and sincere hearts. kind of sounds like family, but it's actually being experienced in the church. Praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Christ becomes for us the starting point for other new relationships that really begin to form. I want to give you an example of this on video of a man from our church. His name is Chuck, and Chuck is sharing in his work uniform because he's, uh, he is our UPS driver. And he's sharing at our church office, and he's talking about how he became a part of of our church, OCC. So let, let's look at this. Well, me and my wife were attending a larger church and my family, and uh, we had been looking for a smaller church, something we could be more uh, involved in. Uh, we had tried out several other smaller churches. Um, nothing was really working out. We, uh, You showed up on our route, moved in, and we started talking. I'd uh, come in every, every once in a while as for delivery. Um, I'd ask you guys a bunch of questions, and you guys invited me to church. And uh, we showed up, me and my wife, and uh, it was great. It was amazing. My wife, uh, for, for quite a while, has been dealing with some very uh, serious health issues. Um, and when we came to OCC, it didn't take very long until we started building uh, a real community of friendship more than not just Sunday friends and these were women who really uh, they came around my wife uh, really helped her through um, a lot of struggles um, that uh, was just amazing it's, it's, it's changed my wife's life uh, in so many ways it's, it's, it's incredible uh, since um, joining OCC with me um, a lot of friends. We've got uh, some friends that we spend um, Thanksgiving with now. We spend Easter with. And we share our lives with these people. They're they're not just people that we say hey to on Sunday and that's that. These are these are true like friends and family. So um, it's also I was going to retire. We're, we had plans of selling our house, moving out to um, to Idaho where my where my daughter lives and her husband and. It's, Basically, because of the, the friendships we've made at this church, the involvements that we have in this church now, me and my wife both serve uh, every Sunday. Uh, retirement's on hold. I'm still working. I'm going to be working probably another three years at least. Um, our plans of moving are, are not those plans any longer. Um, and uh, 
find the right church uh, and the right people and you really involve yourself, uh, it changes your life. That's that. Is what he's describing there is it for some that might seem too far too fast like wow it's take it easy man <laughs> take it easy I mean I don't know if you caught what he's saying it's pretty short but he's saying we were planning to leave California and there's a lot of people mass exodus out of California it's the cost of living here in case you didn't know it's pretty high and so it's sort of like how soon can I store up enough to be able to retire and get out of this place and so that was the plan for for Chuck and Helen, and, and then the, you guys sort of spoiled the plan. God used you, and some of you did. I mean, not in. A, I mean, I think that's a good thing. <laughs> you know. So what he's saying is, we're working. I'm not going to be able to retire yet now because it's going to take me longer to be able to stay here, and I'm just going to keep working, and that's okay. And he's he's just he's describing that he's experiencing. They're experiencing the fullness of real life with community. And there are no substitutes for that. John Ortberg, he, he wrote a book. It's, it's titled, Everybody's Normal Until You Get to Know Them. And he refers in his book to a study on relationships that tracked the lives of 7,000 people over nine years. And here's what he has to say about relationships. Researchers found that the most isolated people were three times more likely to die than those with strong relational connections people who had bad health habits such as smoking poor eating habits obesity or alcohol alcohol use people who had bad health habits but strong social ties lived significantly longer than people who had great health habits but were isolated in other words it's better to eat twinkies with good friends than to eat <laughs> broccoli alone <laughs> I had one guy in first service say, I got all the permission I need. <laughs> I'm with you. <laughs> Bottom line, in our day and age, you will not just arrive naturally in deeper relationships with God and with one another. You won't naturally arrive there. There is so much working against us in connecting meaningfully. There's just so much that wants to block that. And a lot of it's internal and some of it is external. And I mean, but we have to be purposeful. We have to be intentional. And we have to take a hard look at anything that's causing more and more disconnection. So I'd encourage you to consider what does God want you to do in response to him. Here's some next steps uh, that you can consider taking this week. Connect deeper with God by or move towards others through or disconnect from. Maybe there's something specifically God has sort of laid on your heart in response to, to him this morning. I'd encourage you to respond. And uh, let's, let's pray together. Father, thank you for this time that, that we've been together. We, we are so grateful, Lord, to, uh, to be able to see patterns from people in the Bible and to hear instruction uh, that, that was just as relevant then as it is today on, on what matters. Lord, you made us relational people. You designed us with a need to know you and a desire to know you and to connect with others. And, and Lord, you've given us a path on how to get there. Help us to start and make sure that we're right with you. And then begin to have flourishing, meaningful relationships with those around us and even with those here that we could experience family-like relationships even within the church community. We ask you to, uh, to help us to respond and to continue to give some reflective time to, it, to this subject this week. We pray in Jesus' name.
Thanks so much for joining us today. We pray you've been encouraged by the message and equipped to move forward in obedience to God's Word. Join us again next week for another Orange Crest Community Church podcast.